Thank you, Lord. It's good to be in his house, isn't it? It's good to be here, here together as his people. And we just give you glory, Lord God. We give you praise. Thank you, Lord. And we just open his word. I want to go right into his word. Who's ready for his word? We just thank you, Jesus. I just want to continue right on. Last week, I made some statements that there is a beginning and there is an end, isn't there? There's a beginning and there's an end. God has, has stated in Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, he said, It is finished. He said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. And he says in Revelation 21, uh, verse 6, Seven, but first it actually says, and he says, to all who are thirsty, in verse six, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. And in verse seven, to all who are victorious, all who are victorious, everybody say victorious, all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. And verse 8 says, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The Bible says that he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He said, it is finished. And yet, then he says in verse 7, but all who are victorious will inherit these blessings. But all who are not victorious, we can say, will suffer hell. It is not for them. It was never designed for them. God did not make hell for human beings. Hell is a place where God has prophesied that Satan and the fallen angels will go one day. Sometimes we wonder, God, why aren't you doing? Why aren't you doing enough? It doesn't seem like, why are you letting things go on the way they are? Why aren't you dealing with things? And I've been preaching this, uh, and I've said many times, it tells us in Peter that it's because of his grace and his mercy that he continues. Because if his grace ended yesterday, then maybe some of us wouldn't be here. Right, But we thank God that he has given us grace and gives us more grace and more grace and more grace. So meanwhile, while the devil's on the loose and the fallen angels are on the loose and the demonic world is on the loose, more people are being saved. And grace is working. Grace is working in your life. And so we just thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are not, we are not, I want to just highlight one key word here, but we are not the unbelievers. Isn't it interesting? As Christians, we call ourselves believers. And I had noticed here, and as I was just reading, I read this verse last week, and then I went back and looked at it to start to put together today's sermon, and I saw this word, unbeliever. An unbeliever is in the same list with, we think, men, witchcraft, idol worship, the immoral. We think of the darkness of that. We think of the, the hell that they're making for themselves, that that's coming. We know that. God doesn't want them to go there, but we know they're headed there because they don't want Him. They're willingly practicing. They're willingly lying and murdering and being corrupt. But I noticed this one word, which it kind of shocked me, and it says, and unbelievers, cowards and unbelievers, 
Now, this is interesting because verse 7 says, all who are victorious. Everybody say victorious again. Victorious. All who are victorious will inherit the blessings of God. And it says that he will be our God and they will be my children, but cowards and unbelievers. We'll look at the contrast here. The victorious are then what? They are believers. We can also know that they're not these things either, but specifically for today, just want to focus on that one thing that the victorious is the believer. You know, when we go through the word, he goes through with the disciples day by day, year by year for the three and a half years that he was with them. And we see him constantly encouraging the disciples and asking the disciples to have faith and to believe him. And he's actually, you can even hear the shock in in Jesus's voice sometimes when he's like, why don't you believe yet? You still don't believe. Where is your faith? Isn't that amazing that they walked with him hand in hand, literally in the flesh, and they still doubted him. Even the disciples didn't understand what Jesus is, well, who Jesus was and what he was up to. As I was just praying before the service, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, if you think you have Jesus figured out, you don't. He might surprise you. Jesus surprised the disciples. He came in a way they didn't expect, and yet it was prophesied that he was coming. In fact, they were expecting of him, and yet he surprised them. Isn't that amazing? And then he walks with them and begins to show him himself. And many times they actually testify out of their mouth, you are the Messiah. You are. They knew who he was, and yet they were still surprised when that third nail, right, went in that cross, and Jesus bowed his head and said, it's finished, and they thought, that's it. They were still surprised. Jesus is alive, and he's just as alive today as he was then. He is walking with us, in fact, in the same way through the Holy Spirit as he was with the disciples, training us. And one of the keys as a believer, as a mature believer, as a believer that must grow, you must go from being Peter, right, the unbeliever, the doubter, to Peter, the believer, And the thing is that when we read their story, we can read that they believed many, many times they believed Jesus and they even went out and did miracles for him. And yet, then the next instance, they're in unbelief again. And you find this back and forth with them. And that is something that we shouldn't be surprised that we war with. But at the same time, we should never think, okay, I got it. Now I fully believe either. You may think you fully believe, but you need to let Jesus keep surprising you. (laughs) You can believe in his cross. You can believe in his message. Believe in his gospel. But he is still surprising us. Does this make sense to anyone? Has he surprised any of you in your walk? (laughs) Has he surprised you in what he actually wants you to do or be? 
sometimes the world today, some of the Christians think that Jesus is a happy meal. Some people think that Jesus is a tag along. He's an add on. Let me make my life better. Let me make my life better by adding Jesus to my life. Which is so funny. That's why I don't try to sell the gospel. I'll just preach the word, preach the truth of the word. I never, ever try to sell Jesus. As soon as we say, well, this is the only gospel that, you know, every other religion, you know, Jesus, uh, that you can't have a personal relationship. Jesus is the only religion that you can have a personal relationship. What does that have to do with anything? It's either truth or it's not. We don't need to sell it. We don't need to try to tell people why this religion is better than others. Jesus is who he is. He is the son of God or he's not. It either is the truth or it's not. And the thing is, Jesus never said, I'll make your life better. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Prepare to lose everything. You want to follow me? Get your cross ready. You want to follow me? You're going to lose everything. You want to follow me? You're going to lose homes. You're going to lose family. You want to follow me? I don't even have a place to lay my head. Are you sure? And he said, in fact, before you even decide if you want to follow me, take some time and think about it. He said, because I don't want you to be embarrassed. He said, because, you know, some people, they get ready for war and they think that we're going to be able to take this army on and they're a little too flippant about it and they go out and they lose because they weren't ready. But he says, but you, you need to sit back and think about it, count the cost. Just when we think we've got Jesus all figured out, we don't. One thing I do know is that we have to be sold out to him. One thing I do know is that we have to be believers. I know that sounds like this is elementary, Pastor. I know believers, of course, that's what we are. We are believers. Well, do we truly believe his word? Because Jesus said, do you love me to Peter three times? Remember, we looked at this recently. We don't need to understand, we don't need to try to figure out what love is or what the definition of love is to the word. We'll just go to the word. What is love? He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey me. He actually defines what loving him is. Keeping my commandments, obeying me. And then as we looked at Peter's story, we saw that, what's he tell him? He says, Peter, one day they're going to take you where you don't want to go. They're going to dress you, undress you, going to stretch your hands out, and so on. And he was talking about his own death. We need to be committed to Jesus. We need to believe in Jesus. Really, really believe. And just when we think we believe, we need to believe some more. I feel like the guy who came to Jesus and he says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I want to believe him so much that I really don't care about this life. And as much as I say it, that I don't care, I still do. But I really, really want to mean it that I don't care about this life, that I don't care about anything else but Jesus. It doesn't mean he wants me to not go to work and take care of my family and raise my children and be there with them, and be father and friend to them in this season of their life. But I need to be sold out. And that really will be better. That'll be better in the long run. We can lose everything else, but we need to give them that. 
And that means that I need to be a real believer because when Jesus challenged them, then he says, where's your faith? He's challenging us again. He's challenging his church today again. He's challenging this church again. And we're going to be believers, amen? We're going to be victorious. We will inherit what God has for us. We will not shrink back. We will not be cowards. We're certainly not any of these things. And I'm glad I don't have to come into this church and talk about these things. But at the same time, the Lord doesn't have a gauge here. I don't see a list of one to ten, worst to, to least worst. It's all in the same list. He said that he would finish it, and in Philippians 1.6, it says, I just want to move now from, from there to this, just to review, he says, and I am certain, Philippians 1.6 says, that God who began the good work within you will continue his work. Everybody say, he began the work, and he will finish his work in you. He began the work, and he will finish it finally one day when Jesus Christ returns. But then he tells us something in Philippians chapter 2. He begins to say, remind us again of what Jesus did and who Jesus was. He says in verse 4 in Philippians 2, don't look out for only for your own interests, which means if he had to tell them that, then they were already dealing with this. We can see in the verses prior that they were talking about being selfish and working together and trying to deal with those things. So in verse 4, he says, don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. In verse 5, he says, and you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's what a believer is. When we say we're believers, see, the thing is, the Lord's been dealing with me recently about a message. He's been dealing with me about the gospel. You know, we're still trying to figure out what the gospel is 2,000 years later. And I don't have all the answers. But what is this gospel? What was his message? And some people today are saying, just believe in Jesus. And I don't believe that that's the answer. I believe it was believe in Jesus's message. Believe, if you want to believe in Jesus... You can't just believe in the name of Jesus because I've told you before, but the Quran has Jesus in it. If you ask a Buddhist, they'll say, I love Jesus too. I was with someone this week and I began to share the gospel with him. And he says, I love Jesus. Who doesn't love Jesus? He then began to tell me about his love for Jesus with four-letter words. He said, I love Jesus. I just don't love all the other and you can assume what that is. Effing this, effing that. And it's like, is that swear word going to send him to hell? It's not the swear word. It's out of his heart that's able to do that, that there's an issue in there. That you believe in the name of Jesus, in a Jesus. You know, there's, an, there's Jesuses all throughout Mexico. I'm not being prejudiced in any way whatsoever, but they named their right? Jesus is a name today. You say, I believe in Jesus. It doesn't mean you believe in Jesus, the Son of God. We need to believe in the Jesus of the Bible, not just Jesus that we create, 
or Jesus, that doctrine's great, but Jesus of the Bible. And it says right here, it encourages us to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. See, if we're going to believe in Jesus, then we have to believe in his message. It says that when Jesus came out from the Jordan and he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came on him, his message was repent. What we don't realize is you can't come to Jesus without repentance. We're preaching this gospel and and I love an altar call that's real. If someone has really given their lives. But if I come down and punch a number, punch a card, you're not saved because you prayed a prayer. You're saved when you repent of your sins. That was the message that Jesus preached. You can't just say, I believe in Jesus, I'm saved. You don't believe in Him if you have not repented. Because if you believe Him, then you have to believe what He said. I know I feel like I'm preaching the choir, but I just need to speak some things out. I know we know these things here in this church, but I feel like in the spirit realm too sometimes, we just need to preach some things. And I don't know who's listening there in that podcast, but you need to know, listening, don't just believe in the name of Jesus, but you have to believe in the Jesus of the Bible. And Jesus said, repent, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is near. Your life is almost over. Stop living your life for yourself. Stop living in religion. You've got it all messed up. In fact, you're so blind, you don't even see I'm here. You think you got it figured out, but you got nothing figured out. Jesus is the way to live. He's the way to live. He is the way. I can't, we can't make it. Come on. It's like fine lines at the same time. You can't do it. You can't do it on your own. You can't clean yourself up. You can't save yourself. You can't work it out. Come on. This is, it's got to be spiritually received. So I it absolutely at the same time is a prayer, right? Come on. It better be a prayer. <laughs> there better be a heart connection with him. But it also has to be real repentance. If my life has not changed, and I don't know when that is, maybe the Lord has given you grace till you're 97 to fully change. That's between you and the Lord and whoever's listening. That is not what I would do. I'm not going to take that chance. And I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I'm like Paul and says, I'm pressing towards the mark. I haven't achieved it yet, but I'm pressing every single day a little bit closer to Jesus. I will not just shrink back. I'm not going to be a coward. I'm not going to be an unbeliever that doesn't trust everything that Jesus said. I love Jesus that you gave me grace and mercy, but I'm a believer. So if I believe you, because unbelievers go to hell. So I'm not an unbeliever, I'm a believer, and you also tell me unless you pick up your cross daily and follow me, you will not inherit eternal life. If you turn back, you start moving and you turn back, you're not even fit for the kingdom. Come on, church, we need to be real believers, and we shouldn't be ashamed of the real gospel. We can't be ashamed of the truth because it's life. Because you're not giving anybody anything if you don't tell the truth anyway. You're just giving them some Jesus. Come on. There's so many now, and it just keeps coming, right? Christian science only developed in the last hundred years. 
And they're going to keep coming. You'll keep hearing new ones. Listen, call me crazy, but it's going to be documented. It'll be in here forever now, digitally. Call me crazy, but they will start calling aliens God one day. You can say I'm crazy today, but I'm telling you, it's coming. We're going to see more things in the sky and see more weird stuff. And they're going to say, there he is. There's his coming. That's what the Bible says. And it didn't make sense. You know, when they used to read these verses, how could they even understand them? There's his coming. There's his coming. And imagine they start actually coming from the sky as in the Bible. Listen, we need to know who Jesus is now. My sheep know my voice. We need to know who he is now and really know him and really be removed. And again, I'm not saying don't go to work tomorrow. I go to work, but I was just saying to Dawn that I'm a husband and a father and a pastor, and then I technically go to work each day. I'm a gutter guy too. That's not my identity. And I'm probably the worst businessman on that side. People say it's impossible to get a hold of you, and I don't care. I just don't care. I'm going to do a 100% job when I get there. I'm going to represent Christ 100%, but I'm sorry that you can't get a hold of me all the time. I'm busy working for Christ, and he's going to pay my bills, and if it happens to be your job, then so be it, but if it's not, I don't care, and I want to say that even more, and more, and more, and more, and more. We need to believe him again. We need to believe the real Jesus of the Bible. Jesus TJ and I were talking recently, and he said something to me. He's like, the Bible is a book of unexplainable events by a supernatural, unexplainable God. We're never going to figure it out. That was very profound. Those are my words, what he said. We're never going to figure it out. That's why the Holy Spirit has to be every single day, not tomorrow and not yesterday's manna. But I'm living every single day relying on the Holy Spirit daily because I don't know where he wants to lead on a daily basis. I know that he doesn't want me to be a murderer. I know that he doesn't want me to worship idols. I know he wants me to keep believing him. But I don't know what that'll mean day to day as far as where he's going to take me. And I believe that he is leading us. I believe in Jesus. I believe the message. And I believe that when he said, I will not leave you orphans, but I will send my Holy Spirit, that he meant it. Come on, are we believers or are we unbelievers? We need to believe everything he said. Otherwise, you can't be an unbeliever believer. And the Lord will give you grace in your partial faith. He does. And I don't know where that ends. I, I pray, whoever's listening, that you make it right with God sooner than later. Make it right right now. Make it right with him today. I thank you, Lord, for your grace. And I don't understand it. I don't. And I'm not going to try to tell you that I understand it. I don't think they understood it in the Bible either. They just knew this is supernatural. And he does it. And he's doing it. And he's finishing. But it says at the same time, we read in chapter 1, verse 6, that he will finish it. But yet, it tells us here, why does it say that the Lord will finish it? But yet in chapter 2 says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He's going to do it, but you must have the same attitude. Everybody say, he is going to do it, but I must have the same attitude 
that Christ Jesus had. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience. Okay, let's look at this. What is the same attitude of Christ? Are we, we are the same way. We're even, you even have to think of your divine privileges too. You know, technically, this is, this gets, this is a fine line of if you can be saved and not witness. I don't, know, I don't even want to try to answer that. If you can actually be a Christian and not witness. It's a fine line. Because I just don't see it as Jesus. I don't see it from the disciples. I don't think we can just go retreat to an island. I think we have to be a witness. That's just who he is in us. That truly is part of the fruit that he's in us. But we have divine privileges that Jesus said he put down his divine privileges. He didn't even, he took his equality with God and put it down for, you know, we're going to be in heaven with, with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Now's not the time for that. This is a time of war. The last couple of days, I was just spending time with the Lord and the Lord just reminded me, hello, hello. Don't be surprised, you know, because we're doing a Memorial Day, right? Is tomorrow. We realize what this is. You know, we're remembering our fallen soldiers. We remember the price that was paid for us. And we just watched the movie Valkyrie, right? They're trying to take down Hitler and they failed. I mean, men and women have given their lives to bring us freedom. And I was just thinking, the moment you put your guard down is the very moment the enemy's going to strike. Heaven's coming. Don't try to live in it yet. It's like premature. Jesus had the, had the uh, providence of heaven upon him. He had the authority of heaven, but he didn't try to live a heavenly life. He lived a heavenly life in one sense because he was untouchable until he let them. Until the Lord says it's time for you to be persecuted, we should be untouched as well. But there may be a time just like Jesus that that's it, the guard comes off and this is for my glory. But he didn't live for himself. It says instead, everybody say instead, he took the humble position of a slave. We are slaves to Christ. We are enlisted in the army of God. It says, he humbled himself. So let's now go back to verse four. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ had, and he was humble. He was obedient to God. And we don't even want to read this part, but he died a criminal's death on a cross. But it says in verse 4, you must have the same attitude that Christ had. Right? We, I, I read it just some weeks ago. I never remember when because it just comes out. But it says in Revelation that they love their lives not unto the death, right? Even unto death. They, they love their lives. They didn't love their lives even unto death. Come on, church. Anybody getting this today? 
It says in verse 9 that therefore God elevated him, and he'll do the same thing to you. See, let's go look at the, the scriptures here. Philippians 1, God's going to finish it. He started it. He will finish it. And here's him finishing it. He says, then God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all their names. And the word tells us that he's going to give you a new name. He's going to write a new name on you. The word says that we are seated with Christ in that same exact place. But don't think that we also can't listen to the rest of the word, which says we also have to go through the same process. Come on, there's a beginning and there's an end, and in between is the journey. What's happening in that journey? You finding yourself and figuring out life? No. I mean, that happens as a natural, right? Who has figured some things out a little bit? That's part of a natural occurrence in that journey. But no, the journey is you dying and Christ coming to life in you. Not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And every day, if we will let him and we submit to him, a little more of us dies and a little more of Christ begins to shine through you. You can go through any patriarch in the entire Old Testament and New Testament, and they lived a life of death. All of them. We look at their blessings, and we look at the conclusions 175 years later. I know we don't live that long. Some of them did back then, but we don't read the process. Meanwhile, it's 20 years being faithful to God, waiting on the promise that he gave us. There's a cost in that. There's a price in that. Who can go back 20 years ago and remember where you were, seeing what God's done? But we read them as pages, like we just flip the page and be like, wow, amazing faith. Forgetting that there was this huge gap, this journey of time in there where they had to really believe him and really trust him and really die to themselves and really get over stuff and... Joseph, I'm just keep thinking about him as I'm reading, just coming from the Holy Spirit here, that he was in that pit and he did nothing wrong. He was in slavery and then in a pit. And then when he had his chance to kill his brothers and Pharaoh, would have, he wouldn't even have blinked if he had killed his brothers for what he, they did. And he not only forgives them, but blesses them, just like Jesus tells us in the New Testament. Come on, we need to leave the, live like the Jesus of the Bible. He doesn't just say, hey, by the way, I'm your brother. And by the way, these 20-something years that I've been suffering because of you, uh, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to deal with that right now. Not only does he forgive them, but then he sends them away with blessing, just like Jesus told us to do. He said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, that then, so then, everybody say then, or the word in the Bible we read many times, therefore, there's an old Christian joke that says that it's there for a reason. It's there for a reason. All right, there's a cost and there's a conclusion, right? There was the price to be paid and here's the reward. The price was humility, obedience, humi uh, the, the position of a slave, giving up his divine privilege, and the, the great gain was being elevated. And it says in verse 12, Dear friends, 
I love this. I love how he top, stops and goes, hey, friends, listen, sounds like I'm getting hard on you, but so friends, just remember we're friends, right? This is like 2019, this scripture. Hey, we're friends, right? You know, I love you, right? Friends, listen to me. Actually, Billy Graham used to always say that, dear friend, 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 listen to me. He said, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Don't you love God's word? He said, it's even more important. Work hard. Everybody say, work hard. Work hard. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. I'm confused, because Philippians 1.6 says, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ turns. And I turn to chapter two and it says, work hard. Is that Jesus working hard for me? Work hard to show the results of your salvation. At the same time as it's telling us to work hard, we can't be confused. You didn't earn that salvation. You can't make yourself clean or make yourself pure. You are working hard to let the proof of what, see, and, and that's why I'm not opposed to the confession and opposed to the prayer, because if it was real, then naturally salvation will start producing fruit out of your life. If the prayer and the commitment and the repentance was real, then the fruit will follow. And I don't put that timeline on anybody. If you've known me now for a season, you know that I never, ever put that timeline on you unless the Holy Spirit tells me to come to you and say, listen, the Holy Spirit says, you need to start dealing with this, this and that in your, in your life. And then the Lord starts removing the grace so that you change. That's the Bible. We can see that Paul did that too. They dealt with some things and had to hand them over for a season and it says, bring them back. But I don't put the timeline on you, but I do know this. It tells us, the word of God tells us, because I believe it. I believe this word. I believe that Jesus, come on, we believers here? I believe that Jesus gave Paul revelation. Do you believe it? You have to, at some point, either you have to believe this book or not. And I believe that when he wrote this, that it was the truth. Otherwise, we call it the pick and choose Bible, the cut and paste Bible. But it tells us to work hard. Are we okay, guys? Come on, friends. Come on, I prefaced it that you're friends, dear friends. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Wow, we don't hear that verse very often today, do we? God's good, isn't he? The Amplified says in verse 13, and I love how it says it in the Amplified, it says, not in your own strength. You can't do it, and yet you're working hard. How do we do this? It's supernatural. You can't go out there and be super Christian and go show God how you're a Christian. Working hard, not in your own strength. This is a complete and total repentance and removal of sin in the heart first. Before it ever goes anywhere, you are hearing the Holy Spirit speak to you. Come on, church. And you know the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. He'll speak it through his word. You'll hear a scripture and say, wow, 
that pierces me. You'll hear it, someone say it. You hear it on the radio. You hear it in the secular world. You, hear, you can hear it in a secular movie and God will speak out a word. I don't know how it happens, but he gets the message to you somehow. And he'll confirm it right here through his word. It's always confirmed here in his word, but he'll get the message to you. And then what happens is, is if we reject that, we're not letting the repenting work. We're not letting... It becomes your own strength, in fact. Because you say, I'll do it in my time and in my way. You know what happens then? We get, that's when you get into works. It can look exactly the same. You're like, wait a second, but I am dealing with it. Yeah, you're dealing with it in your way, in your strength, and in your time. When the Holy Spirit says, give that thing to me, he says, give it up, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do that, and I want that thing in your life, it's not in your own strength. You know when you just let go and let the Holy Spirit do it. Who's, who's actually lived this? Anybody here lived this? If you're a Christian, we should all be raising our hands. This is how it works. When the Holy Spirit says, I want it, and you give it to him freely, like we've all done, everybody raise their hands. It wasn't in our own strength. It was supernatural, wasn't it? All of a sudden, it just came out of you. But you yielded. Who didn't yield and then felt the wrath of that? Anybody not yield and felt the other side? You got into the works. In fact, you got out of sync with God, and then life it starts, can start to take some turns, doesn't it? So we get back in sync with him. He says, for it is God, listen, it's not your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you. Okay, so God, the second you repent, Jesus, I truly give my life. I don't even know what you want from me. I just know that I want you, and I want to give you my life. And, when that, and, and when then when he says, okay, well, today I want you to give this up. I mean, nobody had to tell me. I was in a Christian home, but I remember, and, and don't feel judged if you still listen to secular music. I'm not judging you. But nobody had to tell me. My parents had already told me, I don't want you listening to that music. So I snuck and had a whole stack about this big of secular music that I loved. I really loved it. I was like the guy, I still love music. I'm just telling Tom, I love, love, love music. But I would listen to this entire album before I went to bed. I mean, I would just like, I was like meditating on this secular music, stuff that I shouldn't have been listening to. And when I truly repented at 15 years old, like a real repentance happened, I knew Jesus, but a repentance happened. Nobody had to tell me. I didn't read it in a book. I knew that I knew that I knew inside me. I went outside and I took a hammer and I smashed them aggressively, angrily, that I let the devil even let me listen to that music for the season I did. And I smashed it. And then I lit a fire and I burned that whole pile right then and there. I never read that verse in the Bible. I can go to the word now and confirm it that I was letting the world in, that there was some strongholds in my brain that I was not letting God take over because I was the devil's building strongholds and theologies and all kinds of other things in there. It's not you and yet you're yielding to him to do it. And he says, he's at work in you and he's energizing and creating in you the power and the desire. It's something supernatural in you. It's him and yet it's you. Come on, I can't explain it. 
Don't try to explain it. It's him, and yet it's you. Does it make sense to anybody, even though the words don't? How can it be him, but it's you? But it is. He's doing something in you, and he does this. He gives you his will, and then he gives you, can you bring this up in the NLT now? It says, he's giving you his will. He gives you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You don't even know what pleases him, so we ask him for it. And when you say it, when you truly repent in the heart without ever stopping any sin, come on, repentance is of the heart before the action. Remember, they tried to bring offerings to God many times. And God's like, I don't want an offering. I want the heart. Offering's not what I desire. I want the heart. You know, in today's church, many times you could just, we don't even realize we can slip back into an old way of bringing offerings because that's easier. I'm dealing with it my way, my time, et cetera. Lord, dealing with anybody here today. We just thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the life in your word. I thank you, Lord, for truth that's in your word. Lord, you have, Lord, you have threaded your scriptures with unlimited revelation, Lord. It will always, always, always be new life to us. Every single time we open your word, Lord, it's brand new life. But Lord, I pray that the things inside of us, Jesus, that are not pleasing to you, that have restricted, Lord, from your work happening inside of us, Lord, remove them. Shine your light on them, and Lord, we yield to you today as your church. Just as Jesus yielded in humility and obedience to inherit the throne, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we yield to humility and obedience to you, Lord Jesus, so that we will sit as you promised us forever and ever with you in heavenly places above every other thing and every force that tries to come against you, every curse, every, all that stuff is low. It's crushed. It's broken. It's done. It's finished. So Lord, but we must choose to listen to you so we stay in that place above all that. And then I thank you, Lord, that one day, even that, Lord, you're going to take the earth itself. You're going to take every curse. You're going to take every devil and you're going to throw them in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And I thank you, Lord, that you will call your church victorious on that day. So we just give you glory, Lord, and we give you praise and we give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord God.